Happy Wednesday and welcome back to Tay Learning. My name is Olivia. And my name is Danny, and we're still your co-hosts even in this new year. Yeah, because now we're seeing you in the new year. Well, that's crazy <laughs> to think about. I can't believe it's 2024. We're recording this in the old year, in the 2023 year. In the old year. In the old ye, ye old year. But it's coming out in the first Wednesday of 2024. I am so excited to be here. I cannot believe it's already 2024. I know, it's crazy. Or I guess like, you know, year two of the Eras Tour, last year was year one. You know, everything's in reference to Taylor. Or entering year three of Tay Learning. I mean, but not, but not really, because like our two year is in June, right? Well, yeah, June 1st. But it's like our third, third like calendar year of doing this. Yeah, because 2022, 23, and now 24. <laughs> Oh my god, ew. Oh, I mean, not ew, but like it just makes my tummy hurt a little bit. Like, that's crazy to think about. Like, not in a bad way. I didn't mean ew in a bad way, even though obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, but like, this is our 72nd, that's right, 72nd episode, technically. We have part ones and part twos that are like separate but together. So we have more than that, but this is our official number 72. And I just think that that's bonkers. Anyway, what are we talking about? Uh, well, this time we are talking about the Speak Now World Tour. We've been doing some reviews of her past tour movies on our podcast. We decided to continue it. We haven't seen the Speak Now World Tour yet, either me or Danny. And so we literally just watched it together. We were both on FaceTime, pressed play at the exact same time for the YouTube video, which will be linked in the description if you wanted to watch it and then come back. Uh, it was so cute and it made me so nostalgic for this time. It does feel good to be back in it because we are in withdrawal from the Eras tour. So seeing how far she's come from then to now, it's just the most magical experience, especially on a tour like Speak Now, where she'd already had this big world tour with Fearless that felt major and to her felt like kind of the peak of her career. And then the Speak Now tour is her first show where she's actually playing in multiple stadiums. And now she's playing in entirely stadiums. So this is a big, big tour for our girl. And it was a lot of fun to watch it all the way through for the first time rather than piecemealing performances together on YouTube and TikTok. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've definitely seen a lot or a handful of the performances on the Speak Now tour before. But there's a lot that really surprised me that I'm like, how did I never see this performance before? Right. We're going to jump into that here in a minute. But as always, we have to go over some housekeeping items. Be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. It helps the audience grow. And the best way to help our audience grow is to share it with your friends and family and people you think might be interested. Even people who aren't the biggest Taylor Swift fans. This podcast has made people into Taylor Swift fans. We know this. This has been confirmed. So share it with whoever you like because the bigger we get, the bigger our audiences, the bigger our little Taylor listener family is, the more content and consistent content we can put out for y'all. That's why we feel so comfortable working over holidays, right? And we're going to take a quick break to talk about our sponsors. We'll meet you right back here. And we're back. So let's chat about the Speak Now World Tour. And this tour happened. It started on February 9th, 2011. That's Kate's birthday. And also the day Taylor would end up writing the song Clean a couple wow. of years later. Meant to be. Yeah, fun fact, right? <laughs> That's an important date in the Taylorverse. So it started on February 9th of 2011 and ended on March 18th, 2012. So this was a major tour. It had 110 shows. And This show had a lot of very specific things that are important in Taylor lore. We're going to go through them as we go through the show, but there are some things that have stuck around for a long time. Think lyrics on arms. We've got the 13 on our hand to stand strong through here. We see some performers that we still see at the Eras Tour to this day. It was a canon event in the Taylorverse, and we're going to jump into it straight out the gate. Something I love about Taylor is her opening sequences. For her tours, they're always just so dramatized in the best way possible and feel so epic no matter what angle she takes. For this one, she, you know, had her big screens that would show like phrases like I love you or I'm sorry or phrases that, you know, sometimes you hesitate to speak now on, if you will, because that was the whole thing. And she has this little speech about how she feels like sometimes things are hard to say and we don't really know how to say them. And she ends with, but I think you should speak now. And she comes out of the ground and sparks flies playing and she sings drop everything now. And then there's just sparks. It's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, she opens it up with that. I don't think you should wait. 
I think you should speak now, which is like we've talked about before. One of the strings tying the whole album of Speak Now together is what you've said or didn't say and which matters more. And also the title of this episode. So there you go. She also does something very weird here. She says like, hello, Chicago. And then the rest of the show is not in Chicago. It's in the two nights at San Jose. So I don't know what's happening here, but maybe that was error. Either an editing error, maybe she accidentally said Chicago. I don't know. I don't know. Inconsistent, though. Regardless, she does mention that there are only 13,500 people in that arena. And 13,500 people is a lot of people, but not when you compare it to how many people go to every single heiress tour show. So just to give some perspective. And she comes out in this gold fringe dress. And I said this to Danny while we were on FaceTime together watching it. People always, you know, associate this kind of look with fearless. And it's just so interesting to see this beautiful gold fringe dress that even Taylor has kind of taken and turned into fearless on the Speak Now tour. Well, we've talked before about how eras for Taylor didn't really begin to embed, I think, until the red era. So while purple is the association that we have with Speak Now, that happened it was, it was literally happenstance it she didn't intend yeah. for that to happen i don't think that taylor now would have put out a gold dress to represent anything doing this with speak now because fearless is the gold yellow album but at the time yeah. it didn't seem that way yeah, it's just so interesting what a lot of the fandom's memory with these nostalgic eras is like i feel like a lot of people would see this picture of her in the stress and assume that it's from the fearless era whereas like in my nostalgic memory the most iconic fearless era dress from the original time was that like black and silver fringe dress mine is the band uniform true but there will be a day when we talk about the journey to fearless today yes. though she opens up this tour with sparks fly which i mentioned when we were facetiming is so bizarre because sparks fly was not a song she ever i think was going to put on an album at all until people yeah. hammered her for it and was like put this on your next album and she did and then she opened her tour with it because people love this song i thought it was a great opener she pops out does drop everything now and she's got the red lips and she's doing her hair flips that definitely had long-term impacts on her neck and she's got these ugly <laughs> black boots black riding boots that at the time were all the rage and she wears them for so much oh, of the show so and i hate them they're so bad with the gold fringe dress but she looks fantastic her hair is just big and curly and voluptuous it's pre-bangs she did cut her bangs during the speak now tour but this video is before she cut the bangs it's a lovely performance that she ends with the wow moment that's what i call it when she's looking out at the audience and is like wow, I made it, her I made it wow moment. Yeah, she's so good at the I made it wow moment. She then goes into mine. And I joked with Danny while we were watching it. And I was like, red Easter egg, question mark? We took notes <laughs> because she pulls out a red guitar. You know, who knows? It very well could have been, very well may have not been. <laughs> Still, and she does the hand heart during this. So she does the fearless hand heart during a not fearless song. And when we look back on Taylor Swift, we associate the hand heart with a lot of Taylor's lore, but specifically <laughs> Fearless, because on the Eras tour, she does the hand heart during the Fearless set. So people have kind of forgotten that this was something that was very much part of her lore up until Red. And she did yeah. it during Speak Now, did it during Mine. And one of my favorite little moments, the lights go up, house lights go up, so she can see everybody in the room. And she talks about that now with your little glow wrist at the Eras tour, how she can see everyone. But this wasn't a very big room compared to the stadiums of the Eras tour. She really, really could, especially with those house lights on. Yeah, she definitely has like themes throughout all of her tours, especially, you know, having watched the rep tour on Netflix, RIP. I know it's not on Netflix anymore. RIP. It used to be. It's no longer a comfort, a comfort show for us. But back when it was available, we would watch it all the time. We obviously went to multiple Eras tour shows, watched several lives. And she definitely has a theme that I didn't realize like started so early of, hi, I'm Taylor. Just so you know, I could see everyone in this room. Oh, wow. I can't believe you would spend your Friday night with me. And I didn't realize like how early all of those like, Things that we find so endearing about her and her shows 
I didn't realize how early it started. Yeah. And it's something that I thought she was going to do on the Eras tour when she says that you're spending your Saturday evening with me or what have you. She said that all the way through rep. So I thought she would say it at the Eras tour. And I'm glad that she did not because that would have been, in my opinion, in poor taste considering how much she was aware of the Ticketmaster disaster mm-hmm. and of the struggle that people went through to get these tickets, the resale prices, putting, I can't believe you spent your Saturday night with me, in my opinion, would have been tactless so she made the right decision by not keeping that up but i do love that she has kept the my name is taylor and like during cruel summer she's like oh hi and then goes into it oh hi taylor come on oh hi (laughs) being so casual about something so intrinsically not casual literally she goes into the next song the story of us and she has a very cliche intro and i was telling olivia there's this meme going around that's making fun of when taylor during the lover era was introducing i knew you were trouble and she goes (laughs) it's so bad it's so bad she goes the song is about when someone walks into a room and you think to yourself "Mm, that person's trouble and then performs i tell you what swifties were in the trenches during that people were making fun of that post that video saying she was this close to a vegas residency (laughs) people were so (laughs) they're so mean to her but i did get a giggle and that is how she introduces a lot of songs is with that very cliche awkward intro and she does that with the story of us talking about everybody's stories in that room i want to share with you my story the story of us she does some kind of awkward dancing during it. I love this song. I love this performance. It is evident that this was the era where she was told, hey, you should probably up your dancing game because the dancing mm. was lots of hair flips and lots of very awkward movements. And I don't blame her for that because I would be just as bad. Literally. She always talks about how choreography is her weak point with preparing for her performances. But something that I noticed that was really good about this performance were her live vocals during it. I know that she got some pretty extensive vocal training after the Fearless era to kind of prove herself. And it shows in this live performance. It absolutely does. That was something that she was really insecure about, especially after getting panned for her performance at the Grammys, which is where we got the song Mean from. But she did have this feeling this need to be better between those two tours and she focused on her vocals and then between the speak now tour and the red tour which we haven't watched and reviewed but i get the vibe that a lot of red was guitar based and less choreography based like really dramatic choreography and then 1989 her dancing had improved quite a bit so absolutely awkward dancing here but that's okay because her dancers were acting out stories yeah and that's something that i had written down for the story of us set was that it's really interesting to see this old show from back in 2011-2012 and kind of witness what she put on for her show and it was a lot of her walking around singing around her dancers that were acting out like almost like a play like it felt very very theater kid to me this whole tour it's just very interesting to watch her small stage that was just busy with dancers doing things versus the eras tour which is this giant stage minimal dancers doing busy things and taylor is like the primary focus like she literally is on a pedestal on the eras tour above everyone else if they're doing dancing around her or there are moments that on this massive stage where she's the only person only thing on the stage and that's all that we want out of her at this point is like we don't need like the frilly dramatic backdrops and like beautiful staircase of her walking down we just want her to stand on a stage and sing to us we just were there for her Mm -hmm. it's interesting to see the comparison here of her trying so hard versus realizing where she is now Absolutely. And then we have a costume change and a bit of a distraction on stage while she's doing that. I love that her interludes always have something to keep the audience entertained. This guy comes out to sweep and sweeps across the stage and does some very cool dancing. And then it moves into Taylor popping out of the ground in a very iconic outfit. It's a little white dress. Her hair is in a braid. Don't know how it didn't ruin her curls. And she goes over and grabs a banjo and pops into a really cute violin duet while she's playing the banjo. Her violinist is playing the violin, obviously, and the intro's into our song where she hammers in that fake country accent. I wrote down in my notes a quote from you, Danny. You said, this is making me emotional. 
It was. <laughs> I think because debut for me is like what Fearless is for you in big part. Mm-hmm. Like debut was that album when I was 11. 11? Yeah, that's right. 10? Somewhere in there. Whatever. It doesn't matter. 10 to 11. <laughs> and as a result, when I hear that intro to our song, it does something to me. I was emotional. It was a really, really cute performance. And it kind of took me off guard because she... There was so much emphasis on the banjo with that transition into our song that I was like, oh, obviously Mean is about to play. And then it was our song. So I think that was a really cute and clever surprise that she incorporated in the performance. But then, Mm -hmm. of course, she has the banjo out. She's going to play Mean, you know? And this is like the cheesiest song intro of the whole tour of I just love you guys because you're so nice to me you're just so nice and not a lot of people are so nice uh, they they can be pretty uh mean <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes right into it and she performs it great there's a stuffed goat on stage which I thought was a real goat for a good second there but my favorite <laughs> part of this whole performance is when she sings the lyrics how I can't sing and then steps away from the mic and like raises an eyebrow and looks out at the audience and then leans back in with the, but all you are is me. And it was so <laughs> good for her to have that reassurance of the audience. It's very clear how good this is for her when everyone's like, woo, you can sing is the vibe. And it must have felt really nice. I mean, as she said in Miss Americana, people enter this industry because they're intrinsically insecure and they're looking for validation. Mm-hmm. She does. And I get that. I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite parts of the show happens next, and it's a transition because confetti drops over the crowd and it is so pure that it looks like snow is falling over the crowd you have the lights are down but there's like silver lights popping out so it looks so beautiful and it's a like bridge. glittery almost yeah. this night is sparkling if you will a bridge pops out of nowhere and we get another costume change where she pops out in a long blue dress seated at a piano and i thought her hair was in a braid but then we see it swept to the side did she pull out the braid or did she have it in a braid one night and sideswept another night, and they were just edited together. I didn't back it up to look. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is probably one of my favorite performances of this show in particular. It's the Back to December on Piano mashup with Apologize and You're Not Sorry. So good. So good. And I love the way she incorporates them because all of these stories kind of meld together. Of course, Back to December references her apology, intended apology, toward Taylor Lautner. We do have an episode on the Taylor Lautner relationship if you want to go back to season two, season two, and listen to that. And then you pop into Apologize by One Republic, where it's it's too late to apologize. So it's like she's speaking back to herself. And then she pops in a fearless song with You Are Not Sorry. It's just such a great, yeah. well-done mashup. I totally agree. And her transitions into those is, you know, she's singing back to December as like, to him, to him, to him. And then she said, and you say, it's too late to apologize. You say you're not sorry. She's like telling a whole story. And I just, I love her mashups like this, where she weaves together these different songs with kind of like the same story being told. And she just makes it an an extension of her original story. Well, that outfit doesn't last very long because we get another outfit change here. Olivia theorizes that this next outfit was hidden under the last outfit, which would make sense because of how quick the turnaround is. Because we just hear a little dial tone bip, 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 well it's ringing and then <clears throat> the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now <laughs> <laughs> not quite not quite <laughs> hey it's me leave a message make it hot and then she says now go sit in the corner and think about what you did and she pops out in a little red slip dress it's naughty naughty and I wrote down a quote from you I love we do this to each other it's <laughs> It says, you can tell that she means these lyrics. Yeah, she was she was in her pick me slut shaming era, okay? Like, you know, it was 2011. We were all trying to not be like other girls. Like every girl's trying to not be like other girls. (laughs) We talked about this while we were on FaceTime, and I think it's important for us to engage all of you, Tay listeners, into this as well. Taylor has talked about looking back on her life with cringe and that the cringe is inevitable going to happen and that 
line in and of itself is kind of millennial coded, but whatever. I'm a zillennial. It's fine. So I can say that. I'm allowed to. This is one of those eras that I think that Taylor does not look back fondly on. And for the longest, I thought that that had to do with John Mayer. While I still think that that's part of it because he fucked her up pretty good and I stand by that. I also think that it is because she looks back and is like, I was in my in-log. My not like other girls era hard. I was taking out my insecurities on other women. And because she is trying to be such a vocalist for feminism and for other women, especially women who really need it, I don't think that she is fond of who she was during this time. And there's eras in my life that I look back and I'm like, I would hate that girl now. And that's good. That's growth. But I think that might be why Speak Now kind of got a mini Taylor's version era. Absolutely. Her saying, like, be the person that embraces your cringe and doesn't cringe, like, blah, blah, blah. She's referencing, like, her style choices in the Red Era. She's not referencing when she slut-shamed other girls and wrote, pick me, speak now, and, like, I'm so much better than any other girl in not like a I'm confident way, but because that girl is slutty and she's a stereotypical girly girl. And why would you want to date her when you could date me? I'm chill. That's cringy in a bad way. And I don't think that when she says embrace your cringe, she means embrace parts of your past where you're being kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. I think you can accept those parts of your past and understand that that is a benchmark for how much you've have grown grace since then. For yourself, you know. Yeah, but we know that she doesn't have fondness for that because she did change the lyric in "Better Than Revenge" mm-hmm. from the mattress lyric to the moth to the flames that lyric. Yeah. We know that she has tried to move on, and she picks on her vocalist and like messes with her throughout the performance. Yeah. <laughs> it's intense, <laughs> which is so ironic because this song kind of is like you know this other girl's the mean girl, but then she. She's being the mean girl on the stage, which like, you know, it's something I do better than revenge. Are you really a better person? We can analyze better than revenge at another time. It's just interesting watching her sing this with her whole chest and mean it. Mm-hmm. But another example of in-log happens as we move into the next song, which has a costume change, and it is the title track. We get Speak Now. Speak Now, in and of itself, is pretty in-loggy. It's pretty in-log, of course, if you haven't caught on, does mean not like other girls. That's just what I call it. It's pretty in-loggy. It's pretty pick-me. And it really shows here because the theatrics on this performance are wild. There's a chapel set up in pews. The priest. There's a priest. It's a theater kid dream. Like, that's high school theater. <laughs> yes, it is literally high school theater. And the bride pops up in her big cupcake dress, which Olivia pointed out that we call Taylor's Speak Now dress on the tour, the purple one that she debuted in Kansas City Night One. We call that the cupcake wrapper dress. Yep. A gown <laughs> shaped so like ironic. a pastry. <laughs> She's got the iconic purple dress on. Her hair is in that cute little pony. We all know this look. She is going into this song, which is intrinsically in Loggy. But then the girl who's playing the bride is also being a brat, which is portraying a woman in the not, not the greatest light. Like the girly, frilly woman is being bad, which I feel like I've said this before and I'll say it again. I'll say it forever. I low-key love in Taylor's arc of being the not like other girls, pick me girl to where she is now is that she's everything that she criticized when she was a teenager. Like she wears high heels, short skirts, glitter, cupcake gowns. She is that girly girl. And I think she always has been, but she was wanting to play cool girl. In our delicate analysis, we talk about the cool girl a lot, or at least I did, because that's what I got from that song. Every girl in my experience has tried to play the cool girl at one point in time, because that's what we think we have to do. And I love seeing that she is comfortable enough not feeling the need to do that anymore. I agree. I think it shows a remarkable amount of growth. I think that it is a really normal arc for women, and I want it to not be a normal arc for women. I want women to support one another from as as young as we can conceptualize. I want us to support one another and not be in loggy, but it is unfortunately right now a canon event for many people, myself included, and obviously Taylor included. Um, Something else I wanted to add in before we moved on to the next song. Um, 13 years ago today, the day that we're recording, the day that we watched the Speak Now tour, this is my Facebook status. Listen, it was on Facebook. I I look at all my memories every day, okay, to make things private. And it was during the time that, if you guys remember, if you're listening and you remember this, when your name was on the same line as your status, so we would do the third person statuses, right? Yeah, like Olivia Katarski is feeling happy. Yes. 
is not the kind of girl who should be really barging in on a white veil occasion, but you are not the kind of boy who should be marrying the wrong girl. Oh my god. I did that type of stuff too. I don't look at my Facebook <laughs> memories because I can't do the daily dose of cringe like that. I can't. I try to embrace it. I look at them every day, but it's to make everything, make sure everything's private. So only I cringe and no one else can stalk me like I stalk them because I'm a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think that is just like so poetic that 13 years ago today that was your Facebook status and here we are today recording for our Taylor Swift podcast one of the top three percent of podcasts in the world by listenership thanks to all of you and you were talking about speak now it's 13 years ago 13 invisible string <laughs> that's bonkers wild uh, well she runs through the crowd to get to the b stage i miss the b stages maybe they'll make a comeback for her and she touches all the hands and she looks so awkward but so happy and there's a tree on this b stage not her publicist an actual tree and she grabs a ukulele which by the way if you don't know who her publicist is her publicist's name is tree jenny's not <laughs> saying her publicist looks like a tree yeah, her name so is tree <laughs> oh my god yeah i look like i was dragging her publicist her name is tree her name is tree and she grabs a ukulele very 2010 to 2014 coded i know i had a ukulele and so did everybody that i went to high school with that wanted to be cool everyone played ukulele and she plays ukulele fearless mashed up with i'm yours it was so cute again it's the lyrics that like tie together you know fearless is about like that epic first date that makes her feel fearless and like it's first kiss it's flawless really something and then it goes into there's nothing else to say i'm yours <laughs> cute <laughs> so so cute i love that performance i thought it was an excellent mashup i do miss the mashups too she moves into one of the most iconic performances ever probably but definitely for the speak now tour and i wrote down something wrong um she brings out a specific guitar that has a koi uh -huh. fish on it and i wrote down last fish koi kiss <laughs> not last kiss with the koi fish <laughs> last fish last Never fish thought we'd have our last, last fish, fish. <laughs> koi kiss <laughs> that's silly hey olivia guess what we saw that guitar in person yeah um, we did it see me. This, song. <laughs> this song yeah that was really special. <laughs> it was really, really special. I'm not going to lie. And this performance is beautiful. And we noticed something, by the way. The performance for this movie was recorded in San Jose. And Joe Jonas was at a show in San yeah. Jose. Yeah. So the movie on YouTube, which is, like we said, linked in the description. This is the performance that Joe Jonas was likely watching Taylor during. Could be. 50-50 shot. She performed 50 /50 twice in San shot. Jose. Yep. And something that I also heard down was... You know, I've always thought about Joe watching Taylor perform Last Kiss, which is about Joe Jonas. And, you know, we have a whole episode about Joe Jonas, too, back in season one. So if you want to reference that, if you haven't listened already, it's there for you. But Joe Jonas watched her at B stage perform Last Kiss. And there's like video evidence of this. And I've always pondered about what was his thoughts process reaction, like her thought process reaction. You know, that's kind of if I were her, I would be overanalyzing the whole thing, even if the relationship was done. But I never really processed him having to watch Better Than Revenge earlier. That's just so crazy to me. I literally can't imagine how much that would stress me out to watch yeah. with the much better. Literally. <laughs> After this beautiful performance, she performs another song out there on that B stage. And it's a, a surprise song because there was a time when Taylor didn't have this massive discography out in the world and she had to pick songs from other artists. And she's talked about how she was paying homage to artists that had inspired her. And in the tour movie, she plays Drops of Jupiter by Train. And we noticed something while listening to it. Drops of Jupiter and When Emma Falls in Love sound remarkably similar. Or at least like her acoustic performance of it, you know? Yeah. Now that she's back in the atmosphere with drops of Jupiter in her hair. And when Emma falls in love, she paces the floor. Like, it has the same cadence, same rhythm. Yeah. It's, it would be a great mashup, honestly. It would. She runs <laughs> back through the crowd. We got to get away from B stage. So many people got to touch her hand. Literally. I have so much FOMO from this time period. Oh, my gosh. Hold on. I'm going to look up what the price Speak Now tour ticket cost. Wow. Tickets started at $25. 
My B-stage pit tickets for Joe Bros was 250 a piece, modern day. And like Taylor during Speak Now era, like, yeah, she was a big star, but like she was definitely a teenage star at that point. You know, like it was teenagers. She wasn't like mainstream yet besides Love Story, kind of, but she was still regarded as like a teenage pop star. So therefore, I don't think her tickets would be that expensive. At the time, she was still a four-time Grammy winner. And she was the top-selling digital artist in music history at the time of the Speak Now tour. Interesting. So, yeah, they started at $25. Tour was sponsored by CoverGirl. So I guess we know what lipstick she was using then. Yep. And a lot of these shows were in arenas. So even if you spent $25 to be in the last row, you still weren't that far. That's bonkers, man. All right. Well, she gets back on that main stage that somebody probably paid $80 to be right up against and performed You Belong With Me. And <laughs> it's fun. Everybody on that stage dates this show because of their outfit. It was so Disney. Yeah, it gives Disney Channel for sure. You can tell who she was hanging out with during this time in her life. But it was a good performance. I mean, You Belong With Me always bangs because it's one of her biggest hits. So she has fun. Then the crowd has fun. And when the crowd's having fun, she's having fun. But Mm -hmm. overall, you know, nothing life-changing. But then we get life-changing. Oh, yeah. Uh, And then she goes into her amazing performance of Dear John. I love watching her perform this with as recent emotion as possible, which is the Speak Now tour. And watching her perform it now is like she's just performing like a good song that's and like acting with it it's not modern day feelings but she was probably still reeling about I was 19 that was two years ago I can't believe like I was so young and naive and like this is her like realization of that song you know and her performance just really captures that it's beautiful there's not like dancers going around on the stage it's her and the audience and then the shining like fireworks over your satapne town and the fireworks go off in the open air arenas and stadiums it's a great performance when i think speak now i think of her leaning back and doing the oh whoa, whoa that's what i imagine it was great fabulous performance i think like this performance kind of makes the song for me like i i know last week's episode I was kind of harsh on Dear John. I felt bad. I listened back. I felt bad. I didn't not mean what I said, but like, <laughs> I didn't feel like it was conveyed. Like, I like Dear John a lot. It's just listening to just the song by itself is different than watching like this performance. Yeah. We get a costume change and a ballet transition, a beautiful ballet performance. And she comes out in a, it looks like a golden pink gown like a blush pink almost yeah it's really pretty really delicate if you will but she performs (laughs) enchanted in it and it's really simple there's a lot of stage elements and you have like flickering lights on trees up there like it's really beautiful really simple but something that she does that i really appreciated she sang the stems in the please don't be in love with someone else she Mm -hmm. sings those and on the heiress tour somebody pointed out there was only one or two shows where she sang the stems rather than repeating the please don't be in love with someone else I loved seeing that. I love seeing that early performance of her singing the stems. I'm kind of surprised that she didn't go into love story after this, given the love interest that she's singing to during the Enchanted set. Like he's kind of dressed medievally. And I cannot believe she did not transition from Enchanted to love story. I mean, I get why love story is where it is in the set list, but it's just kind of surprising to me. It just felt like a shoe in I would agree. I also noticed something that I really appreciated. When she is leaving the show at the Eras tour after Enchanted, she's walking off the stage and she turns back over her shoulder and looks at the audience. It's brief. Sometimes she winks. But she does it. And Enchanted is the only song that she performs in that dress, in the golden pink gown, the blush, champagne, whatever. And when she's walking towards the back of the stage, she turns back and looks over her shoulder and looks at the audience. And she freezes there longer than she does for the Eras tour. But it seems like a really nice nod back Mm -hmm. to what she did on the Speak Now tour when she's exiting the stage after Enchanted. That's cute. Something that you said, Danny, while we were watching it, you said that it's so interesting comparing this performance of Enchanted on the Speak Now tour, all these dancers running around behind her, her interacting with a love interest, and it's this whole production versus the modern day performance of Enchanted of her literally just standing on this massive stage in a ball gown singing. And like, yeah, she has dancers around her, but like, she's literally raised up on a pedestal and people are like kind of they just feel a lot more background they, they look like props rather than characters in the performance 
yeah, like people are there to see her at the ARS tour. And I'm not convinced that during the Speak Now tour, she had a lot of confidence in that being the case. Yeah. Even though that was the case. I felt like she she maybe felt like she had to like entertain people with a story when she could have just sat and played her guitar the whole time. Yeah, for real. We get a change. We get another costume change, which for some reason I wrote down as custom change. Anyway, it's into (laughs) a red dress that also might have been hiding underneath the ball gown because it's so quick. And a bell comes down that has XIII, which is 13 in Roman numerals. She bangs that bell. She bangs it. Her fake bangs it. Let's be real. She's not really hitting it that hard. Yeah. I literally wrote down, that bell ain't real. That is not a real bell. But Olivia, you said something that was fun. You were like, Haunted's my favorite song. It's my favorite Taylor Swift song. It has been for a long time. Hey, listeners, if you didn't know that. And she's like, I never picked up on the bell sound. That's like, obviously that was important to Taylor. I never really noticed it. That I was focusing on the strings. And you're right. Yeah. I think that's so funny that that was what Taylor was focusing on was the sound of the bell and not the beautiful strings. And even the drum intro, the drum intro into the... I guess the bells are there, but it's just not what my ears ever pick up on as like a significant part of the song. And it's interesting that it was significant enough to Taylor to want to incorporate it into the performance. God, her poor neck. She is throwing that head around during this song and being so dramatic. This performance reminds me quite a bit of a performance on the Fearless tour of Forever and Always, where Mm -hmm. she throws furniture around (laughs) the stage. But we'll talk about Fearless at some point. I also have written down for this haunted performance, the dancers flying out of the bells because the bells lift up and the dancers fall out like, you know, on the bell string itself. Like they were like part of the bell and they're doing this like acrobatic. What is it called? I don't know the name. I don't know the name either, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But they're like dancing on these bells, doing acrobatics and stuff. It's really cool visual. But when they dropped out of the bell, we both were like, ah. Like, oh my God. Were they (laughs) hiding in the bell the whole time? Was she banging on that bell and someone was in it the whole time? The whole time. She loves her costume changes for this one because she slips into another outfit after a really great performance of Haunted, by the way. I think that was one of the best performances on the whole show. She gets into a little black slip type dress and she changes into it by the bell coming back down and coming on top of her yeah what the <laughs> was that <laughs> yeah the bell drops down she ducks into it and then boom costume change black slip and we get the official closing number although i will say that the tour movie does not make it look like that was actually the closer i was doing some research and it seems like it was very clear that that was the closer and there was like a planned encore but she does long live and it's beautiful And she says right before it, this song is 100% for all of you. And we talked way back in our Long Live episode, long time ago, early season one, about how this song seems like it was written for the band, her band, the agency, and it kind of became about the fans when she was performing it with the Speak Now tour. And I think that's kind of where it's landed. But it was an emotional performance because I believe that she believed that she had actually already peaked. Literally, like, like this was this was it. This was her farewell tour. <laughs> right. It felt like that, too. Something kind of fun that I wrote down is something that you said, Danny, mm-hmm. was that the intro to Long Live, while she's giving a speech or walking up to the microphone, you said it almost sounded a little bit like it had elements of 22, which 22 was not a song that was released yet at this point. It was not. She was not even yet 22 when this was recorded. Yeah, click on the link in the description, guys, and go listen to Right Before Long Live. You'll hear it. I was like, that sounds like 22. Yeah, Yeah, like it could almost like bleed into 22 somehow. Just so interesting. Stage goes black because now she's encoring. And you'll notice that there is at least one song here that we didn't get to hear that a bunch of people came for, especially at this time, since she wasn't the Taylor Swift that we know today. There were absolutely people in that crowd that did not know a majority of those songs, and they were looking for one in particular. But she doesn't give it to them right out the gate. No, no, no. She's in a big, beautiful gold ball gown on a couch to perform 15 on guitar. And in the background, there's photos of her band and other performers at the age of 15. She's so nostalgic, is something you said, Olivia, while we were watching, and you are so right. I've seen some videos of her sitting on this couch singing other songs. Like I've seen her sing like Safe and Sound. Yes, she did. So I wonder if the song before the final song in the encore was kind of like a rotating song too. I can tell you the answer. Safe and Sound was performed in Oceana, not America. Those Oceana performances got 
safe and sound, with the exception of Auckland, New Zealand, which got eyes open. Interesting. Did it always change? No, it was 15 for everyone other than Oceana. Huh. Interesting. Well, then she finishes up her encore with the one and only love story, like she has to. <laughs> yep. She's got her little floating balcony. It comes down, picks her up, and she goes around the audience and gives them all the kisses and loves and goodbyes. Wraps it up with love story. And all in all, it is a little over two hours. It is a lovely show. Time was used well spent, I think. And it's it's a great tour. I think that this show did exactly what it was supposed to do, which was really enhance her relationship with her and the fans. One thing that she does for every show is she writes lyrics on her arm of a song that she is interested in. A couple of examples include her own songs, but interestingly, they're oftentimes different genres, different artists, they're all over the place. And Olivia said something really funny when we were watching. She was like, this is Taylor Swift's Facebook status. Because, you know... She didn't live a normal teenage girl life. I know. I keep talking about Facebook statuses. I check my Facebook memories every day to weed out those gross old, they're just a lyric. Why would you read that much into them? I'm fine. And then like, I'm like crying. And I meant that lyric to a very specific situation in my life, but I would cover it up with, no, it's just a song lyric. That was Taylor with the lyrics on her arms. We have thousands of listeners, thousands, who are under the age of 18. To y'all listening, you might not know that this was a thing, but this was a thing that you would post a (laughs) lyric that was definitely like attacking somebody personally and someone would comment like, what is this about? And you'd be like, nothing. It's just a lyric. It wasn't just a lyric. Sometimes it was. Sometimes it was. I remember specifically posting about the song Love Like Woe by the Ready Set. And someone was like, oh my God, you're in love. And I was like, no. (laughs) I wasn't. That was actually just a lyric. Yeah, sometimes it did mean nothing, and sometimes it did mean something. You know, it's just, we were always quoting songs on Facebook for some reason. And I loved the way that she did. She really used those lyrics to kind of build that parasocial relationship. She was giving those Easter eggs to her fans about what she was feeling at the time. And going back to the Facebook example, for those of you who remember this, my the funniest thing she wrote on her arm, by far... March 7th in Brisbane, Australia, she performed and she wrote The War Outside Your Door Keeps Raging On, which is from Safe and Sound. But then she put in all caps, Stop Coney 2012. And if you don't know what Coney 2012 was, I'm not going to talk about it. Go Google it. There is, That's it. That's all you have to know. Go Google it. Don't tell me why. I never thought we'd be talking about Coney on this this podcast. Here we are. Stop Cody 2012. One of my biggest flexes of this era in my life is I was very anti Stop Cody 2012. Like, I did not buy into it for two seconds. Really? Really? Oh my God, I ate that shit up. Nope. I was like, that's sus. And I researched it really hard and I was like, ew, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So go Google that. Go Google that if you are interested. But probably my favorite little easter egg here that she posted on her arm in her performance in arrowhead stadium in kansas city missouri and not just because i'm from kansas city and where i'm currently sitting right now recording this or because travis kelsey plays for the kansas city chiefs she performed there on september 21st 2011 and she wrote a lyric on her arm from rachel yamagata's even if i don't and the lyric is i hope you know that even if i don't i wanted to what does that sound like, Olivia? I almost do. I almost do. And she was writing red at the time. You cannot tell me that that did not inspire that lyric. I wouldn't believe you. She always talks about how she would be writing the next album during the tour, specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I believe it. Absolutely. So that's just a fun little note. But Taylor herself said that the lyrics she wrote on her arm are viewed or should be viewed as a mood ring, is what she used. And the New Yorker cited the practice as an example of Taylor's keen understanding of what fuels fan obsession in the first place, a desire for intimacy between singer and listener. We've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast, but one of the things that Taylor Swift has nailed down is fanning parasocial relationships, but she also has them with her fans. I don't think she would open up this much about her life and her songs and writing stuff on her arms in sending gifts to people if she didn't genuinely want to open up about her experience and have that two-way relationship. And this is a prime example of her doing it this young. Obviously, she fosters our parasocial relationship with her, our one-sided relationship with her. But I think that she also feels that way toward us. She has a parasocial relationship with us. She doesn't know us on an individual level, even though she desperately tries to have a one-on-one relationship with as many fans as she can possibly meet. It's impossible for her 
to have that with the billions of fans that she has at this point. And I think she kind of sees us as a massive base of people that she feels connected with, even though like we don't have an actual relationship, like a face-to-face relationship. And Mm -hmm. so I think she tries to be as transparent with us as possible while also still trying to be vague enough that the media and people who aren't her fan can't like kind of take her life and twist it against her. Agreed. There are some notes that are worth putting in here. During the Asian and European legs, Mean, Our Song, and Haunted were all cut because the stages were smaller. And 15 was performed in place of Last Kiss. During the show in Kansas City, Taylor Swift added in the song Superman for whatever reason. Again, there's just so many Kansas City invisible strings, but whatever. (laughs) Starting with the show in Denver, Ours was added to the set list as well, interestingly enough, because Ours is about John Mayer. And during shows in Lexington, Houston, and Raleigh, she performed Never Grow Up. I also have a list of the surprise covers in front of me, which I know you probably do too, but something that was interesting that I wanted to point out like she played different songs every night on September 20th in 2011 she played Lucky by Britney Spears and isn't that interesting that the lucky one makes us think of Lucky by Britney Spears huh and the lucky one was on red yeah she was definitely all over writing red during this point which we know if you watch the tour movie for speak now that we've linked just know at this point she's written a lot of red including Mm -hmm. all too well we know that because she talked about how it was during rehearsals for speak now that made her write all too well she also talked about how these songs were kind of day of decisions in an otherwise very well rehearsed show she made Mm -hmm. these decisions kind of spur of the moment and i think that's amazing and just really speaks to her talent as an artist all around Yeah, and, like, there's such a wide variety of different genres. Like, we have Bon Jovi, Nelly Furtado, Dixie Chicks, Rascal Flatts, Justin Bieber, Gwen Stefani, All-American Rejects. Her taste in music has such a wide range. Mm -hmm. To talk about how the show did, the show almost sold out across the board, across all shows worldwide, at 99.2% of tickets being sold out. So I think... We really could have gone. She also had some special guests show up. They weren't every show like 1989, but there were some shows where we had people show up, like Nicki Minaj, Jason Mraz, Tim McGraw, Jimmy Eat World, Flo Rida, Goo Goo Dolls, James Taylor, just to name a few. And she'd perform a song with them, which I thought was lovely. As far as the critical acclaim for this show, it was really, really well acclaimed, in big part because of Taylor's visuals and the big one, her connection with the fans. The lyrics on the arms, the 13 that she inspired people to write, generally connecting with them, running from B stage and back. And it ranked 10th on Polestar's Top 50 Worldwide Tour list. It earned $123.7 million, which clears $150 million in today's money. And it had 1.64 million people plus attend this show. Now, that's not near as many as Go Today, but for 110 shows and it being her third album, I think this was pretty good for Taylor. Absolutely. And her second tour ever. Second headlining tour, I guess. And just like a fun little note. For those of you who do not know, before the Speak Now tour commenced, she performed on the Allure of the Seas cruise ship, and they called it the Allure of Taylor Swift. And I just think that's so freaking funny that she was performing on a cruise ship. She performed better than Revenge on a cruise ship. (laughs) Gave us that iconic interaction of, better than Revenge is awesome. Thank you. She looks so proud. (laughs) That's the Speak Now tour. I thought it was adorable. It Hold on my nostalgic heartstrings. And I really wish I could have been there. This was an era of my life where I really wanted to see Taylor live. So this tour specifically was if I could have gone or if I would have gone to a tour as a teenager during my teenage high school Taylor Swift fan era, it would have been this one. And I'm the opposite. Speak Now was the album and era that I was the most disconnected from Taylor Swift on. There were still a couple songs that I really jammed to, looking at you specifically back to December. But I was really disconnected from Taylor. Love debut, felt good about Fearless, and then I really pulled away. Yeah, I think Speak Now was like the peak era of my teenage Swifty era. Makes sense. You love Haunted. What'd you Taylor learn this week? I learned that she had guests on the Speak Now tour. I didn't know that. And it was guests like Usher and Justin Bieber. It's just, I didn't know that she did that. I thought that was a 1989 kind of exclusive thing. I know that it wasn't every night on the Speak Now tour that she had a guest, but 
she really just loves connecting with other musicians, even if they're in a genre that she isn't in. And I think that's something that's super special about her. And I wish more people were like her in that aspect of being open-minded and willing to learn from people who are doing things differently from her. I agree. I would say that I learned my favorite thing I learned was that Rachel Yamagata lyric of that. I hope you know that even if I don't, I wanted to. That is so, so I almost do code it. Literally. That's crazy. She was Easter egging these songs before she even knew that they were Easter eggs. Or maybe she knew, but we didn't. Right. What are we talking about next week? Next week is going to be really fun. 2023 is officially over. We decided not to do it for today's episode because we wanted to make sure that we allowed ample time for New Year's Eve to happen. Who who knows? At this point, it's the day before New Year's Eve. Who knows what's happening on New Year's Eve in terms of Taylor Swift? But we're doing a 2023 Taylor Swift year in review. A little Taylor Swift wrapped, I guess, if you will. We're going to be discussing all the big achievements our girl has had in the year 2023 from the tour to the re-recordings to the big pop culture moments and the biggest and most memorable moments of Taylor in 2023. I'm so excited to do that. Just a year in review for the biggest year in her career. I think that's awesome. I can't wait. As always, though, if you haven't rated or reviewed this podcast, go ahead and do so. It really, really helps us out. While you're at it, make sure to follow our social media pages at Taylorning Podcast on Instagram and TikTok at Taylorning on Twitter. You can email us as always, taylorningpodcast at gmail.com. We love to get emails from you guys. And if we haven't responded yet, we will as soon as possible. We definitely make sure to respond no matter what, even if it's a little bit late. We we do our best. We're just two girls out here in the world. You know, we're, we're trying. Mm-hmm. But (laughs) we're always monitoring that inbox and make sure that you keep an eye out on our website, taylorningpodcast.com, as in the next coming weeks, we do have a surprise that will be on the website. So make sure to be paying attention on there. We'll catch you next week for our 2023 year in review for Taylor. I'm Olivia. I'm Danny. Happy 2024. (laughs) Bye. Do you think that like she's a chiropractor that specializes in neck care because of this tour? I think she was just a young girl at this time. You know, yeah. she was falling to her knees. Her knees were bruised this whole show. I bet she has a chiropractor now.